0: Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path Ventures After Party. I am your host... Rick Sandage. I am joined by my co-host Jessica Peters.
1: It's me, except Jenkins is now. Oh, I apologize. I I still don't. (laughs) It's it's only been three years. (laughs) I do it all the time. It's (laughs) fine.
0: Jessica Jenkins and Ross Scoggin, our resident librarian. Hi, yes. Yes. Sounds like the... uh... Uh, typing of the Dead knockoff of Resident Evil, which I think technically Typing of the Dead was already a knockoff of Resident <laughs> it Evil. It was a knockoff of Resident Evil. <laughs> resident Librarian. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, either that or I'm the Space Marine Chapter Librarian, either way. Ooh, that's, yeah. that's a little bit more that's exciting. Fun.
0: That's fine. Welcome to uh, to the wonderful month of July. I hope everyone out there is, uh, is much cooler than we are here in Texas. Uh, however, I don't Seriously. imagine that it's that's probably high. the case. It is obscenely, obscenely warm. Uh, but, however, it is the beginning of summer, that magical time of year. Uh, and as such, we've decided uh, as a theme, and more or less because we, we really just wanted to have a chance to just talk about things that we love, uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind yeah. of why we put together this after party, you know, it gives us a chance to talk about this uh, this podcast that we love, this game that we love, uh, but it also gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, books and stories that we love, uh, which is why we decided to basically do a summer reading And uh, I'll let Ross uh, explain exactly what the heck summer reading is.
1: (laughs) I mean, when you have a librarian, you have to do librarian things. Yeah, you have to
0: do librarian things. I mean, it's true. And uh, sorry if I'm being too loud in the library.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is not a library. (laughs) So to say, I don't think
0: that book's not standing behind me. It's not a
2: library. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, no. So summer reading is there. There's a couple of different origins of summer reading. The one that you probably see at your local library was originally determined. created by librarians as a way to assist children to keep up with their studies over the course of the summer. Um, those of you who are teachers probably are already aware, summer isn't a great time for retaining information. Um, children oftentimes forget bits and pieces of what they've learned Starts over up. the past year. And uh, being able to you know keep up with that over the course of the summer definitely helps um and of course librarians are nothing if not helpful that's what we try to be for the community so (laughs) you know uh we we took it upon ourselves to try to help out with that uh, however, a large um, additional part that's kind of grown over the years. So summer reading oftentimes isn't just for children anymore. Uh, most most local libraries will have programs for teenagers. Um, I mean, who are children? But for teenagers and for uh, adults as advanced well. Advanced children. So, <laughs> yes, advanced children. <laughs> Levelled up children. <laughs> They've had their first class change and they're getting <laughs> sure. ready for the. Yeah. Um, yes.
1: Yes. They have a level or two.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Um, But uh, then, yeah, you get into um, programs for adults as well. So if you do have a library near you, I do highly encourage you to go check that out because there's oftentimes uh, fun things you can win. There's a lot of programs that happen so you can go do stuff. Uh, It's a a good time. Um, In addition to that, actually, the idea of summer reading itself uh, originated back in the turn of the century when novels tended to be more seasonal. Hmm. Um, people would design books specifically for reading on summer vacations and things like that. Um, you'd go. That is,
0: that is intriguing considering that that's what eventually movies took over where you have your summer movie releases and, and all the rest of that stuff. Absolutely. So
2: yeah, uh, it was, it was a big deal. Um, you know, kind of around then and, uh, um, since then of course that that part doesn't necessarily happen as much we usually get our thrillers and our summer romances and stuff kind of all the time now um mm. but you know originally books were a little bit more seasonal i suppose when mm-hmm. people were designing them so so anyway yeah there's some uh, there's some origins of summer reading and the ideas behind it so hope that was interesting and not just like oh boy i'm gonna <laughs> go learn stuff
0: from From library school. Let's go. (laughs) Well, it occurs to me when we're having that conversation, when you were talking about students, uh, you know, the summer slump, as Jessica was putting it, and Mm -hmm. you were talking about, you know, students forgetting a bunch of things and all the rest of that, that um, summer is also when, you know, children are home. Mm. And... um, for parents, you have to pay a particularly a larger amount of attention or you're going off and you're going on summer vacations and all the rest of that. Yeah. So, for our gaming audience out there, I imagine uh, summer is probably the period where you see a lot more cancelled games. So, you know, Friday night oh, yeah. games probably get interrupted a lot more as people are going out of town and all the rest mm-hmm. of that. So, uh, maybe having some summer reading that you can take with you to kind of inspire you for when you return back to your uh, your TTRPG group and once you can shove those <laughs> kids back in school and... Uh, um, <laughs> For, oh, for those, man, I guess those rare people true. that do like a, you know, we've got a Wednesday noon tabletop RPG group, mm-hmm. you know, because all the kids are in class. If yeah.
1: you really want to think next level, hold your gaming sessions at the library during summer reading. Have Ooh. your kids go do summer reading stuff. Uh, you just play your game.
2: That's not a bad idea. A lot of times libraries will have rooms available for that sort of stuff, though ask them ahead of time because (laughs) not all libraries have them and not all libraries have them readily available.
0: Ross, always thinking of the librarians.
2: Please, please think of the librarians. (laughs) I don't want to make anyone's job harder than it already
0: is.
1: Although, I mean, true galaxy brain is just teach your kids how to play and have summer adventures, right? That's true. true.
0: You can take them wherever you want to. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, actually, and before we get into... uh, a deep dive into all these stories all these uh we're going to be suggesting some stories as well some um you know some visual media some movies mm. or television uh to enjoy to inspire as it were um and before we get into that of course we will be doing a q a at the end of this and so if you do have any questions feel free to drop those in the chat we'll try to get to those at the end they don't have to be about the stories that we're talking about if you have mm. any just general questions you want to ask um but if you yeah. also want to ask for you know even further suggestions or anything like that, feel free. Uh, we're going to try to not make this go on too long. Everyone knows how much I love to talk about the various literature that I read. Um, <laughs> but uh, for this first part, I suppose I'm just going to be tossing the baton. Uh, let's go ahead and keep it with Ross. You've got the yeah. most experience uh, suggesting summer stories. so
1: Give us <laughs> your professional leave. opinion, Ross.
2: It is one of the aspects of my job. Reader advisory is very important. So, uh, yeah, I suppose I'll bring those <clears throat> skills to bear here. Uh, So we decided to go over uh, several books and movies like like Rick was talking about, TV shows, things like that. Uh, I do have a few book suggestions here, first of all, and the first one I would... hmm? I'm excited. Very exciting. Everybody um, get your pens
1: and pencils, to write them down.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, or, you know, maybe if t- you're on a device that you can take yeah, some I notes. I mean, you can do that, too, I guess.
0: <laughs> I don't Whatever. Know. I
1: don't know. I'm analog this I'll I'll put gonna, them in the yeah.
0: We'll put them in the show description for when this is a podcast. Mm. And then uh, in the meantime, uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
2: um but yeah so let's see here the first thing then i would like to mention uh is a darker shade of magic uh by ve schwab victoria schwab she's very good it is a wonderful story um that takes place through over multiple parallel londons um Hmm. it is uh yeah the the main character actually is uh Referred to as an Antari, he is capable of traveling between the various Londons and the various worlds that, you know, have uh, interestingly enough different levels of magic between them. Uh, One of them is known as Grey London, which is our world. Um, There's, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) there's not much magic there um, for some reason,
0: you know. Welcome to Uh, the land, London.
1: (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Uh, The real
0: world, the vanilla of the multiple universes.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: There's uh, Red London, which is permeated with magic to a degree that most people have access to at least a little bit. Um, There's White London, which is, uh, interestingly enough, incredibly magical, but also uh, one where there's like magic, uh, I think. It's like a hierarchy where the more magic you have, the stronger you are, the better you are Hmm. as far as uh, being in control of the world. But you can also... Oh, like a
1: majocracy or whatever?
2: Kind of. But Hmm. it's also a little post-apocalyptic as well. And it's interesting to note that because there's also one other London referred to as Black London. We don't go there. Um, Nobody goes there. So, uh, with that in mind, then, um, you have uh, these characters that uh, basically um, Kel, the main character, or at least one of the two main characters, the Deuteragonist, I think, is usually what's referred to as, um, hmm. uh, has the fun job, <laughs> uh, the fun side hustle, I suppose, of taking items from one London to another. So huh. he usually smuggles things from one place to another because he can travel between the worlds and usually blends in. Um, and ends up losing a very important object uh, in Grey London, in our world, when mm. he runs across the pickpocket uh, Lila Bard, who nicks it off of him, uh, runs off into the night, doesn't know exactly what it is that she has, um, but, uh, you know, sort of starts figuring it out. It's very interesting. Mm. I don't want to spoil any more there. Um However, I think the cool things about this is that you can take away um, some very cool characters Has a very unique system of magic. Uh, the sort of interdimensional travel is a really interesting aspect to it as well. Um, beyond that, I for your games, um, the main characters have a really cool relationship. Um, they're very, you know, kind of back and forth with each, with each other, uh, very much um, Fireforge friends who don't quite understand each other, <laughs> but try their best. <laughs> um and moreover i think that it's very good at determining that like magic alone as important as it is to the plot in the world isn't the only thing that can get things done A lot Mm. of times, um, it's Lila's skills and capabilities just as somebody who's just street smart and knowledgeable about the world around her that can get stuff done more so than even like Kel's magical powers and ability to travel between these different worlds.
0: So you're, so Um, you're telling me you can't solve all of your problems with magic is the message people should be taking away from this. One of them. Yes. Um, Interesting. sometimes you just need a crowbar. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, Sometimes
2: you just need a crowbar. Sometimes you just need somebody who can pick a lock, you know, (laughs) uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's a really cool book. Um, some really fun stuff to take away from it. Uh, the next one I'd like to talk about is the We Free Men, um, by one of my fa- personal favorite authors, uh, Terry Pratchett. I have a feeling mm. a lot of you may already know about this one, but in we case you We knew you would have a Terry Pratchett <laughs> on the list, Ross. I have, I'm like Can morally obligated works. to. <laughs> fair, fair. He's great though. And I highly recommend oh, yeah. you read him if you haven't, um. So uh, We Free Men is, uh, it takes place in a part of the disc world known as the Chalk. It is a sort of idyllic farmland, um, lots of people, you know, making cheeses, raising goats, mm. all that fun stuff. Um, and the main character is a young girl named uh, Tiffany Aching, who is the daughter of well, one of the farmers on the Chalk. She is a very um, knowledgeable child. She doesn't necessarily have like magical powers per se, or at least not what you know one might consider you know magical powers. But she knows a lot about the things around her, and she wants to be a witch more than anything. Nice, nice. Uh, she ties in very well with. There's actually an entire series of Pratchett books that have to deal with witches. Uh, they're very cool books, and. Um, I think that they have some very interesting character motivations inside there. Um, Tiffany
1: kills it at that.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tiffany is primarily motivated uh, early in the story. I mean, this is happens in like chapter one. Um, Her brother is taken by uh, Jenny Greenteeth um, of, well, you know, the, the popular legend um, and
0: is taken away t- of another short story I recently read that ties into that but ah, that's not that's here, not here.
2: <laughs> Rick you have to wait for your own turn it's my yeah. turn <laughs> <laughs> um, but her brother is taken away and she takes it upon herself to go to fairyland and rescue him alongside uh, the titular we Freeman also known as the Knack McFiegel, which are um, usually I've heard it described as combined Smurfs with Braveheart, and you're about there. Um, That's fun. (laughs) So, yeah, they're very fun. Uh, I think that uh, one of the primary things to take away from this is, first of all, the adventure itself is, I think, could be ripped straight out of the DD module you know or a Mm. pathfinder module or something like that i mean Mm -hmm. you could i could absolutely see you know like the journey to the fey realms and you know dealing with finding you know a, a lost sibling or a lost you know even just somebody kidnapped in the town or something like that would be a very classic story um tiffany and the witches in general also have a very interesting idea of what it means to kind of they're kind of in a way stewards of the land um and it's a very interesting way of looking at character motivation morality sort of why they're interested in being part of this sort of magical realm and dealing with stuff like that Hmm. um and again and this is kind of a theme actually throughout a lot of the books i've chosen a lot of times, a mundane solution is perfectly fine. One of Tiffany's greatest weapons is the fact that she brings an iron frying pan with her into fairyland. I yes. mean, <laughs> Fairies don't like That'll it. That'll do. You know? <laughs> um, sometimes that's all you need is just a frying pan and the will to use it. But, um, Yeah. And then uh, for the third story, um, the last one I wanted to mention as far as books go, uh, The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty is a very good one. Uh, this one is highly motivated by, um, you yeah, know, if you're a fan of anything like um, Middle Eastern or Islamic mythology or things like that, there's some really cool stuff in there. Is this a YA um, book? Technically, no, but I think sometimes it's
0: shelved in YA. Um, okay, okay. I mean, they're... were you suddenly just reminded of this? Or was it like, I think, I think
1: I've suggested this book before. I read this or heard of this book before. And, <laughs> and I was wondering if it was because of teaching middle school for a long time.
0: Uh, it's, it's
2: very good. And while there is some, there is quite a bit of uh, violence and, uh, and things like that. Um, as far as, you know, there, I could see like teens <laughs> reading it, enjoying it for sure. Mm, okay, um, okay. But the story centers around uh, Nari, who is a con artist in Cairo. Um, She is uh, basically, she does things like palmistry and things like that to try to swindle the occupying Ottoman Turks out of their money uh, so she can survive. She's very good at it. Yeah, I was about to say, this is a character I think Jessica would especially yes. like. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing is that she actually does have a magical ability related to healing. She can diagnose uh, somebody just by touching them. She knows what's wrong with them. Oh, that's cool. um, Moreover, um, she does seem to have some ability to heal people, though it's, you know, um, like she can't go around just like curing diseases at a touch or something like sure, that. sure. But it, it's helpful. Um... However, she gets whisked away to the world of Devabad after accidentally summoning a Jin warrior um, as part of one of her schemes.
1: Awesome, awesome.
2: He just sort of shows up and she's like, oh, um,
0: I didn't expect
1: that. <laughs> I guess
2: this that. is a
0: thing now. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, that sounds delightful.
0: Yeah. This um, is an interesting way to introduce a new PC. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: That's true. You just they accidentally get summoned.
2: Whoops. But... <laughs> Uh, from there, though, it is it is really interesting in that um, she becomes kind of embroiled in this sort of political conflict between these various factions in the, uh, again, the titular city of Brass. Hmm. Um, the um, Deva, as they're known, are divided into several um Clans, or um, I forget exactly the kind of a cast system, kind of like a cast system. Hmm. They each are over different aspects of reality, they deal Uh, with different stuff, they have different power sets, Um, and they're all kind of trying to be in charge of, well, Their society. And she ends up being a key player in that struggle. I won't reveal how or why because, you know, spoilers. Um, Because main protagonist. Because main protagonist, oftentimes, (laughs) yes. However, um, I think the key things to take away is it's got a really cool political central plot. So oh, while nice. there are like fights between you know um, various characters and like some monsters right out of mythology, that's not necessarily the primary setting. It's a lot of you know trying to figure out like who's allied with who, who's just pretending to. You know, very very fun stuff there. Uh, the characters are all extremely complex and entertaining. Um, there's not a one that i'm just like even if you don't necessarily like a particular character they always have those redeeming qualities that you're like but i can understand that i get why (laughs) that um so, yeah, it's it's definitely a really cool character study. It's a really interesting plot. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's actually a trilogy, so keep an eye for the second and third book as well. It's all out now, so there's no, you know. So it's like, a much more recent book, I assume? Yes. These okay. are, uh, I think City of Brass was 2018? Okay. 2019, that seems something right. Something like that. So relatively recent. Um, and... Um, Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, keep an eye out for the, those books. It's not like, you know, Patrick Rothfuss where you're going to have to wait 20 years for him to <laughs> continue that series. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, let's go on ahead and head to the movie that I picked. Um, let go yes. down to the lobby. Yes. Get ourselves like some get our snacks. Popcorn and soda? <laughs> I mean, yep. that is my favorite part of any do, any do, movie do, experience. The do, popcorn do. at the
1: theater is better than popcorn anywhere it's, else. It is
0: true. It is I true. I don't know why. I don't know how they manage it, but it's,
1: it's just magic. you
0: can t- you can taste the 20 dollars that you spent on that bucket of popcorn.
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true.
0: So much money. It's like that's uh, the
1: only uh, magic of the cinema is popcorn. Actually, weird tangent. Popcorn okay. saved the cinema. Um hmm. the reason they sell it is because it was something that allowed them to make a lot of money off of something really cheap, and it kept cinemas going uh, in cool. the early days. Hmm.
0: Interesting. I don't doubt it.
2: Yeah. Fun <laughs> popcorn packs.
1: All right. Anyway, sorry. I'll <laughs> with you.
2: That's quite all right. I think that was fun. Um, Come
0: so, for the book suggestions, stay for the popcorn packs.
2: Absolutely. Uh, so for my movie, I went ahead. I... I watch a lot of old older movies. Uh, I just Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. I don't know. I really like them. And uh, for this one, I actually went ahead and picked uh, Seven Samurai, the uh, Mm. Kurosawa classic. Again, Mm, one probably a lot of you have at least heard of, if not actually seen. Um, But I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, check it out if you can because it is a very well done movie um, i was gonna say
0: kurosawa was on my short list for mm. uh for movies that i was going to suggest yojimbo uh, is my personal mm. favorite but yeah, uh, i think what's Samurai's, interesting with
1: seven samurai phenomenal. is you could then watch the magnificent seven and you can see kind of that western spin on a very similar kind of story yeah, absolutely
0: yeah you get that spaghetti western kind of feel to it yeah um but i mean so much western um not just as far as the western genre is concerned but so much uh, western cinema has been influenced by kurosawa Absolutely. over the years oh, that yeah. uh, just watching his stuff. God. Ah, yeah. so your feet. Okay, sorry. Go on, we'll Russ.
3: Go. Please. <laughs>
2: no worries. We'll no worries fan, at all.
0: Fanboying and fangirling over Kurosawa. <laughs>
2: yes. Um, however, yeah, the story, of course, is a relatively Simple one in that a number of villagers have been beset by bandits Mm -hmm. and they have decided that enough is enough. They want to hire samurai to protect them um, to make sure that bandits can't keep coming in and taking all their stuff and worse, um, like killing a bunch of people, all that stuff bandits tend to do. Um, And the samurai that they get um, are a very interesting cast of characters. Um, You get a wide variety of different Uh, skill sets, people that specialize in tactics and archery and just pure swordsmanship. Um, And and you also get a uh, a sort of roguish character who isn't really a samurai, but is good enough at pretending that he's just sort of tagged along with everybody.
0: that it one is, player that didn't really want to fit the theme that everyone else had, but yeah. <laughs> he figured out a way to, to slot them into the story anyway. I mean, at least, you know, he
2: went rogue and not just like, I'm a gunslinger, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like the samurai t- story. Well, I mean, they do, there are guns, but they're extremely rare. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the interesting thing about the story is that on the surface it does seem really simple and in a lot of ways like the plot doesn't necessarily like it doesn't have a lot of twists and turns there's not like oh secretly the bandits were like you <clears> know <throat> working with the villagers all along or something and it was all a trick you know it's, it's very straightforward mm-hmm. um i mean i don't want to spoil what happens in the end but yeah. you know like yeah it's it's not one of those like mystery movies or something um but it is a really classic story told very well And I think a lot of it has to do with how well the characters work with each other, um, which I think is really good for anybody looking to see how a tabletop RPG group can work together. They all have different skill sets, they all have different specializations, and yet they all come together as a team to defend this village which again is also just a classic plot point yeah. um their plans never go perfectly you know and again not going to spoil anything but you know bad things happen you know i mean bandits are, are also <laughs> a wily bunch um but they do keep trying they keep going and you know i uh yeah you get to an ending that i think is very very well done so i won't yeah. Yeah, you know, say more than that, but yeah, it is a really cool movie. I definitely recommend you check it out. It is a bit of a long one. I think it's like three hours, but totally worth it. Oh, yeah. So,
1: it's also yeah. like one of those classics that then you can seem like a super smart movie <laughs> buff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Woo. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I know Kurosawa. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, so, I think you raise a very valid point that it, it is kind of a quintessential movie. Um, tabletop RPG story of mm-hmm. adventurers hired to protect town from blank yep. and so uh, and then bringing together seven disparate people from like these various you know similar backgrounds but you know various locations with their different skill sets that it uh, it does kind of encapsulate that uh, tabletop RPG at the very least like Dungeons and Dragons style yeah. um, or Pathfinder style yeah. um, story
1: well and what's interesting about it is it's, you know, we play a lot of published adventures and it's mm-hmm. interesting because even if it's a published adventure, every group would have a different experience with it because of the choices characters make. And so mm-hmm. this is a really nice way to see how characters can impact that story.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like is the characters the in oh, this movie will make different choices probably than your characters might make in, might make in a similar situation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But
1: yeah. Awesome. Well, All Jess, man. do
0: you want to uh, to take over?
1: I will. I will take over. <laughs> Um, with a little bit of just weirdness. Um, all right, catch the baton. Woo! Oh, uh-huh. God. Don't throw batons at me. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm going to start with, it's kind of an older book. I don't know exactly when it was published. Um, it's not as old as what Rick's going to talk about because he likes <laughs> turn of the century, but this is...
0: <laughs> I was about to say. I can almost guarantee.
1: Um, so the first book I want to talk about is The Air Affair. It's by Jasper Ford. Mm.
0: Okay.
1: Um, it is... Of a series, I think there's five of them, they're all out. Um, but essentially it's a little bit of a bizarre, it's like an alt-earth uh Great Britain, um, where Great Britain is a a police state, which isn't, I guess, that far off from reality. Except (laughs) um you can time travel and cloning is real, and Mm. they really, really, really care about literature. Like, um,
0: I think I see where this is going.
1: You can um you can wander off and end up in a Wordsworth poem. Or Ooh. if you forge um, a poem by some famous author, you can actually, like, legally get in trouble. So it's, it's like, an alt-earth with lots of technology, but also books matter a lot. Mm. And uh, the story follows uh, a character called Thursday Next, who is a special operative who works in the literary uh, kind of field.
0: Thursday um, Next. So she... Yeah.
1: Uh, they research uh, or not research. They do detective work around crimes that happen in books. For example, somebody getting lost in a poem. Mm. Um, And the plot revolves around the idea that someone is kidnapping characters out of works of literature um specifically one of the the reason it's called oh, no. the air affair is that somebody kidnaps jane Eyre out of the novel <laughs> um and so out of the thursday titular novels, so. Yeah, yeah literally the jane Eyre from the book she kind of needs to be there <laughs> yes i see yes and so thursday goes into the book to investigate uh, i think hmm. she, you know there's some you know you hop into a shakespeare play so it's a lot of jumping in and out of literary worlds hmm. which first of all as a person who loves books is awesome um but what's cool about it what makes me think that it might be something that you can pull from is you know we do a lot of um borrowing in storytelling right you're always Mm -hmm. looking for inspiration sometimes you can literally use the thing um and then put this spin on it like this is there are literally like Mm. it is bronte's novel it is jane eyre so if you've read jane eyre you know something about what's going Mm. on in this plot um and so there's this idea of playing with things that your players know um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and twisting them to work in a fantasy setting. Um, yeah. That can be kind of a fun, uh, weird take on what D&D or Pathfinder could be, right? Hmm. I, like yeah. that.
0: I remember very, very, very early on in my uh, my storytelling career, I adapted the first three Resident Evil games into hmm. a D&D campaign um, set in... Beirut, set in the uh, what I think it's Laton, I believe mm. is the gnome island. So it's basically <laughs> like what if Resident Evil, but all gnomes. <laughs> yes, amazing. And so I love yeah, it. it's just take it, borrow it. I love you it. You know, I played around with some of the names, and I can't remember what I, n- I named the Wesker gnome, but it was great.
1: <laughs> it's also a pretty good example <laughs> amazing. of things can be super weird, um, but have heart mm. in a way mm-hmm. that you. Uh, wouldn't have thought possible because like this is a world where dodos are real mm. um and i think the main character has a pet dodo and it's so stupid to have dodos be real but <laughs> so endearing um yeah. so yeah so the air affair there's a bunch of them they're delightful i think somebody in the chat called them a bee tree they're kind of like a bee tree yeah they're like yeah. a mystery Oh, well,
0: there you go yeah absolutely.
1: Um, and then I'm just gonna continue to pick books that are for younger people. Um so okay. that was like an adult book. Um the next <laughs> book is Sabriel by Garth Nix, uh, which I don't know, man, it's it's top tier yeah, for me nix in is general. Great. Yeah, Garth nix is great.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, but Sabriel has one of the coolest pieces of magic. Um, it's like stuck with me for years, like over a decade at this point. Mm. So essentially, Sabriel's the main character. I think this is a trilogy, although the second It's grown book.
2: since then, I think. Oh, that's
1: true. Yeah. Eh, it's like Star Wars. Only the original trilogy <laughs> matters. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have a very similar opinion to something a little bit later on when I'm going to be talking about stuff, so I do... Uh, I'm well aware of people taking a, a, a franchise and running with
1: it. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it's like... I mean, the other things are probably great also if they're by Garth Nix, but... So essentially, the story is Sabriel is um, sent to a boarding school on the other side of the wall... Um, and it's just kind of like a normal, it almost feels Victorian kind of place. Um, Mm -hmm. and on this side of the wall, it's kind of, it's very typical. There's not a lot of magic. There's some magic, but it's not, it doesn't feel super magical. Um, but the other side of the wall is called the old kingdom. And that is where Sabriel is actually from. Uh, her father is called the Aberson and has gone missing. And so kind of during her final semester before graduation, she finds out that her dad is missing. Um, and she decides to go and find him. Um, so she ends up with lots of very fun companions, like a cool cat who's, Mm. uh, uh, it's a magic cat who doesn't hate a magic cat. Um, there's like (laughs) a guy who's forgotten who he is. That's just called touchstone. So lots of like (laughs) zany NPC type characters that form this little party with her. Um, but the cool thing about her is that she has, uh, well, her father, technically the Aberson, which she Mm. inherits, has the ability to... Ensure that the dead go where they're supposed to go um, using the power of bells. And there's seven bells, and each bell has a very specific uh, ability and way that it manipulates the undead um, to push them further toward kind of where the dead are supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds um, like a, uh, a 2E thaumaturge kind of, kind of situation. Yeah, super yeah, thaumaturge I can vibes. see that, yeah.
1: In fact, if I was going to build Sabriel, I'd probably do a <laughs> 2E thaumaturge and use the bells. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, so it's a lot of, you know, looking for this uh looking for the dad moving around this old magical place finding that of course the bad guy kind of evil force is gonna have to do with necromancy and like Mm. spirits escaping from uh from where they're supposed to be um but the magic system is so cool this idea of it's all very sound based and like your will versus the will of the bell and like Mm. the the further down like the easier bells are the higher sounding bells and then the deeper that they get the The more will the bell itself has that you kind of have to overcome. Mm. So I think there's a lot of cool things you can pull if you really want to expand what magic feels like and yeah. maybe put a different spin on it. Plus, it's like super good. Like yeah, on it's top just of a cool story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it kind um, of uh, yeah, you know, from the tabletop RPG side and all the rest of that stuff, it it shows an interesting way that you can play around with uh, with magic systems or even with uh, you know interacting with magic like that if you're playing a mm. uh, you know here's the reason why I have a bard that uses bells you know yeah. here's a reason that I have uh, or here's a, just a different magic system entirely if you're again mm-hmm. just taking away from that from the idea of like the thaumaturge and all the rest of that mm-hmm. of how uh, it, it, made it immediately made me think of in a Pathfinder context the uh, the Song of the Spheres idea with uh, Desna uh, yeah. mm-hmm. so which I mean mind you like I believe the idea of the Song of the Spheres existed well before that but um, yeah. you know Desna kind of encapsulates that in the Pathfinder setting
1: yeah yeah. And there's just some like hellaciously cool descriptions because uh, she ends up, you know, going into the kind of afterlife world
0: because mm. there's
1: gates and the, like the descriptions of each phase. There, there's a lot you could pull from for world building um, nice. if you want to create your own place, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Um, also, apparently all of the books I chose have female leads. That's the thing I'm doing uh, mm. accidentally on purpose. So, <laughs> um, and Sabriel's a very cool um, female lead. All right, the last one, the last book that I have is, um, I'm cheating, I'm doing a Rachel because it's also a movie, Um, (laughs) is House Moving Castle, which is by Diane Wynne Jones, Mm. or there's a Ghibli movie that's also amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's cool about House Moving Castle is, um, first of all, it's a story of um, kind of a normal girl who is, she's the eldest of these daughters, um, and she just kind of doesn't feel like she does anything special. Yeah. Um, she works in a hat shop and then, you know, this she kind of ends up cursed to look like an old lady um, and she just kind of meanders off. Uh, she starts with this very kind of hero's journey. I'm just a normal person thing, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of ends up being entangled with uh, the wizard Howell uh, and his moving castle, which is very similar to a very cool um chicken hut and I'm on board with chicken huts all the time. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: um, and you meet very cool characters. I mean Diane Wynne Jones is a great writer because um, all of her characters have this like lovable personality, even the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see it in the Ghibli movie if you don't want to read the book um, because that is done masterfully as well. Um, but what's really, it's cool about it because outside of the fact that there's like a love story and all of that stuff, there's this idea that the house is connected to different Uh, universes or worlds or places you're not really sure it's not really clear um and then there's this conflict of like who am i how do i become something so if you want to see this character arc if you're looking for something to inspire you know how do i create a character arc where i start at first level because if i'm thinking about sophie she starts at first level she makes Mm. hats she's (laughs) like not even that especially beautiful she's very very normal um Mm -hmm. and then finds her own voice through this adventure. She doesn't gain magic, but she does find how she contributes and how she has strength and all of that stuff. Mm, so it's a very yeah. cool character arc that you could apply. Yeah. A journey of self-discovery kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yes, House Moving Castle. And if you read and then watch, you can compare the differences because there are some and they're great. Yeah, That's all nice. I'll say about that. <laughs> um, Alright, last thing. I'm going to pick a really weird thing now. Um, I'm actually going to pick, instead of a movie for my visual media, um a korean drama called vincenzo that you can watch on netflix um so vincenzo is the story of uh vincenzo cassano an italian mafia consigliere okay who is korean but was adopted by an italian family so he's korean who was i think he was like 10 or something when he was adopted by an italian family and became their lawyer Hmm. um He returns to Korea because his boss dies, like the dawn of the family dies. He returns to Korea uh, and he has this plan that he's going to uh, steal some hidden gold that's in this building and then like go live on an island. Right. Mm. Um, Of course, this gets sidetracked. We've all been there. um, Obviously gets sidetracked um, because Mm -hmm. this big corporation conglomerate, because this is a K-drama called Babel, um, wants to buy the building that his gold is stored in. Uh, before he can figure out how to open it. There's some fancy, you know, locking mechanism or whatever. Uh, So he ends up, because he's a lawyer, uh, Mm. he kind of ends up representing this group of weird people that have stayed in this rundown building. There's like a, you know, a guy that runs a a tailor shop and a restaurant. And like, so there's like these strange little (laughs) wacky characters that all are super great. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea is he considers himself the villain because he is a, like, i think his first scene is setting a vineyard on fire so he is like a villain who is taking on other villains yeah. um so the whole idea is justice doesn't exist law isn't enough um you need a villain to take on a villain so <laughs> first of all it's a great way to play an evil character in a good campaign <laughs> yeah because i would not say he is yeah. a good person right yeah he's delightful and you love him but he's not a good person um <laughs> but the other thing that's very interesting, it's, it's true for a lot of K-drama, but this is a pretty good example, is the balance between genres is exceptional. American cinema or American TV doesn't really do it this way. Um, mm. It is extremely serious and extremely silly. Um, mm-hmm. like, And it'll switch between scenes. And the way that it's like the characters are so serious and then the next scene, they're so silly. Mm. Um, and it all feels very real. Uh, and it doesn't kind of kick you out of the story at all. There's no huh. like weird um, like, oh, God, you just broke my immersion. There's none of that. Um, hmm. And I think K-Drama does it really well. But Vincenzo does it in a way that you could learn from if you're trying to kind of strike a balance between serious and funny, which tabletop is a lot of, you know, wackadoo stuff. And then you know, there's a lot serious of serious stuff
0: there. Like, I, was, um, I was about to say, Ross and I recently had a conversation. We were talking about um, lampshading and bathos and, and hmm. all the rest of that. That is a, I feel like it's become a more prominent thing in media uh, particularly because of the marvel formula Mm -hmm. the idea of you have these very big you have these very dramatic scenes and then you immediately have comedy Mm -hmm. and how um i'm actually really interested in checking out this series because that's one of the things that i hate the most Mm -hmm. where um if you're running a game if you're if you're going through the game tyrant's grasp is a great great example of this tyrant's grasp is a very dark story that has a very um Has a lot of these deep moments where it requires the players to really step into their, into the characters and experience uh, a certain degree of catharsis through the tragedy that the characters are experiencing. Mm. And um, it's some people have this inclination, and I feel like uh, a lot of modern media has encouraged this idea of the moment it starts to get too serious, like you know, God forbid you start feeling something, you immediately have to break that. Mm. (laughs) Whereas someone's just like. You know, okay, well, you know, we're we're burying our friend and all the rest of that stuff. It'd be like, oh, I guess I'm never getting back that five copper I learned. Yeah, on. and it's just like, yeah,
1: it does not mm, do it that way. It yeah, is yeah. much and, more, you know, like people, like mm, every, yeah. no one can be sad all of the time.
0: No, mm. well, and that's so. the thing is, is you allow people to actually what it sounds like you're saying is that it allows you to actually feel and experience the heartfelt emotions of the scene, and even when in the next scene, it acknowledges the absurdity of the situation Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I feel like uh, a lot of western media has really messed up recently as much as I enjoy many of the Marvel movies Mm -hmm. I feel like the impact on everything has to be a Joss Whedon um, you can have a heartfelt moment then immediately follow it with a punchline Mm -hmm. Um, or James Gunn for that matter but I'm probably going to make some enemies if I'm uh, bad mouthing James Gunn Uh, you know, you, he did Rick. a
1: pretty good job with the last galaxy, a uh, Guardian of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, um, well, that's something thing.
0: That. He can, yeah, I and it, I think but... he does it way better than. Uh, um, I recently watched Thor: Love and Thunder, and oh. I hated it. I hated that it because it sweet. never lets you feel a single emotion.
1: Which is mm-hmm. weird because Taika Waititi is a very good actor,
0: or a very good. Well, he's actually a good actor, but also mm-hmm. a very good director. Yeah, um,
1: just that. And movie, he can deliver
0: mark. on it, but yeah, I, I felt like the script that they had was just, yeah, yeah. Anyway. That rant, nonwithstanding, I'm very interested in uh, in seeing something that does that well. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Highly recommend. Vincenzo. Nice. Yeah. The concept it itself good. is silly. He's a Korean-Italian yeah. conciliary? Okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so again, it's, you know? guess
0: what? it sounds like somebody didn't uh, didn't read the player brief before they made that character. <laughs> it's like, well, I made this character for this, uh, this mafia story, um, for this oh, Italian mafia game that we're going to do, but we're going to be in <laughs> Korea. I can rework this character. It's (laughs) fine. He he just moved back in. Yeah, Yeah. No, And it turns
1: out great. It turns out really great. Um, All right. I think it's Rick's turn. Are we going to let Rick talk about stories? We are going
0: to. I'm going to have a whole time to talk about stories. (laughs) Um, Great story time. So I do have an obscure story. Well, relatively more obscure. But I'm I'm actually going to start with a story that I think more people have probably read than either of the other ones that I suggest because it is uh, actually widely taught. Um, and that is the Yellow Wallpaper mm. by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Um, mm,
1: that's such a good story.
0: Most most people have probably read this because it actually is taught. It's an amazing mm. piece of uh, uh, feminist literature as far as uh, both the it has a um, a female author, but as well as its message.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: However, um, it can also be taken. Basically, the story is is that it's about a uh, a woman that. Um, goes on a uh, basically a, a rest trip. Her, she and her husband, uh, after she's given birth to their child, um, they get this uh, uh, an ancestral estate that they rent out and they go and stay in. Um, however, she is uh, it's very early on stated that she is sick, um, and basically her husband, who's a physician, has brought her here so that she can get well, so that she can relax um, afterwards, and the the book is extraordinarily interesting the short story. It's only really about maybe like 10 pages, 15 pages, um, is very interesting because it, uh, is a first person narration. Mm -hmm. And so you can't be 100% sure if you have an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. and whether or not it is Mm -hmm. her dealing with depression. Um, which I believe is actually the author's intent, the Arthurial intent there is that it's her dealing with depression, I believe specifically postpartum depression. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: But it is projected through this lens of the supernatural, Mm -hmm. of that there's something she's put in this room with the uh, the titular yellow wallpaper, um, which is this horrible affair. And as she's there, she's just kind of steadily driven mad by the experience of it. Mm -hmm. And one, it is... Hands down, some of the best writing that you will ever read. It is so well done, and the descriptions are so great. the The fact that the the writer, the character, um, in there, and the writer um, specifically goes on and can describe this wallpaper in such lurid detail mm-hmm. um, that seems this obsessive compulsive description over and over and over again of this wallpaper. It is one of the few stories that I've read that as I was reading it even in a lit room, it gives you that kind of, it gives you that creeps uh, because the the narrator just so subtly shifts from having a regular conversation to talking about this wallpaper. Mm. And from a, uh, from a storytelling standpoint it is so evocative and capturing mood that it it gives this constant feeling of this, this unease, this suspicion. It really puts you into the mindset of the narrator where suddenly everyone around them, you know, but be it her husband, be it, um, her, uh, husband's sister. That's also staying with them. Everyone suddenly starts becoming these sinister figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it has, uh, it has some amazing twists. And if you want something to really give you the feeling for, um, the mood of not even just a, a horror story, mm-hmm. but really being able to establish this, um, the environment really telling the story of the, mm-hmm. um, what the character should be experiencing. I, God, I love this story so much. Yeah. Um, it yeah, is such a, such a phenomenal, phenomenal story. So, uh, the yellow p- wallpaper, uh, again, it's probably out of the, it's not the most famous of the ones that I'm going to suggest today, but it's probably the most red of the ones mm. that I'm going to suggest today. Um, So go and check it out. And again, if uh, there's a lot of literary study on it, so if it's something that intrigues you to delve deeper into it, I highly suggest.
1: Yep. I read that to Um, get my lit degree. That was part of some class. I don't even know. Nice.
0: Funny enough, I didn't realize that there's a I didn't realize until I was doing a little bit of research before I did this, that there's actually a doctor that's referenced in there, which was actually a doctor that um, um, Charlotte Perkins Gilman saw Mm -hmm. and she included in there because his advice to her was so terrible. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, this is like... from the
1: time period where it was like, oh, you women were always sick, even though they weren't sick. Yeah. Let's mm. just put them in a room and lock them in there, and they'll be fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, you, you know what you, you know what would solve your depression? Being locked into a room by yourself with absolute nothing to do. You can't write. You can't read. You can do nothing. You just have to do sit not, up there and breathe. Just lay there. Uh, put, put her in a high room because the the high air from the altitude can yeah. be better for her mental state. Like, is it though? Um,
1: no? yeah, it's <laughs> no, also like no. treating women as though women and men don't have share anything in common. Right? The idea that they're just so delicate. You have to put them in the same. Yeah. yeah
0: There's a good. lot that can be taken from this story. And it's actually very good at also uh, being an example of... Um, Working in subtle story elements mm-hmm. to kind of tell a message as well, because there can be a lot that can be taken away from this as being uh, her battling against the uh, um, the patriarchy, or at the very least, these um, her husband who is this very uh, patronizing figure mm-hmm. um, as far as the you know being paternal, being controlling. Yeah. Um,
1: ah, so good, such a good story. Yes,
0: so uh, that's going to be my first suggestion. So short story. Second one, also short story. <laughs> um, the Tower of the Elephant which is uh, by Robert E. Howard. Now, this one I do have to preface with um, it is a Robert E. Howard story. And so uh, it does have, you know, especially from that time period, especially I believe it was written in the 30s. Um, mm. There's a lot of that uh, racial language to it. There's, It is a Conan story. It is technically speaking the first Conan story, uh, not mm. chronologically, but it's the first one that Robert E. Howard wrote. Mm -hmm. And so it's about young Conan and uh, it's set in the, you know, the whole Hyperborean age. Uh, It's Conan uh, when he's first kind of becoming this adventurer figure. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, you know, there's a lot of the things that you expect when you read Conan or you read a lot of sword and sorcery from that time period, uh, which is there's a slightly racist element to a number of things. Mm -hmm. And there's a very sexist element to a number of things. Mm -hmm. And Conan is kind of a male wish fulfillment character. Yeah. That being said, it is not um, some of the latter stuff. You know, my mind immediately goes to what is it, Queen of the Black Coast, I think, and a couple, maybe The Slithering Shadow, um, where you could tell in those that Robert E. Howard was writing to try to get the book cover. And mm. the book cover was always mostly nude woman in perilous situation. Mm. Um, and so he started writing a lot more of that. There's a lot less of that in Tower of the Elephant. Mm. Um, so Tower of the Elephant is basically a story about. Uh, you know it starts in this uh the seedy bar um down the, the the slums that you know all of these rough and tumble thieves and all the rest of that stay in think and we've all, all been t- there at some point yeah you you know? you've all of been course, there in a dnd game mm-hmm. where you start a bar and then you know there's all of these these roguish figures and then suddenly there's the you know six foot tall burly bronze skin muscular you know kunan <laughs> walks over is like hey what are you talking about and they're like oh yeah there's this tower of the elephant place and it's a, it's a Conan heist story because it's him breaking into this wizard's tower, um, okay. the tower of the elephant, to steal this gemstone. And it is so quintessentially the um, the blueprint for so many like early old school AD&D modules, where it's there's a wizard's tower and you're breaking into the tower to get this gemstone for whatever reason. Um, Does it really need a reason? And while like while he's going through it, um, he's attacked by lions at one point. It's like it's like the game master rolled a random encounter. It was just oh, like, there's some tower lions have different jump. floors, and each floor <laughs> has random. Stuff well, they in it. they skip almost to the top of it. But when he's like when they're getting in there, it's just like it's Conan teams up with this thief, and so it's like these two separate characters that both are like oh, okay, you know the the elderly experienced thief and the young Conan and mm-hmm. so it's just like and then they get up there and there's a spider that attacks them for some reason um, <laughs> there's always a spider <laughs> that being said the reason I suggest the Tower of the Elephant the reason that I love it is a lot of people I think I mentioned this earlier that I was going to talk about uh, franchises that have been impacted over time mm-hmm. and uh, Lynn Carter and um, um, Du Camp kind of took over the Conan stuff uh, after the, the tragic death of Robert E. Howard he committed suicide very young and mm-hmm. They, they took over these stories and they kind of fanboyed on the, um, his later works that were trying to get the cover of Weird Tales. Mm. So it was very much the, you know, every, every man, you know, wants to be him. Every woman wants some Conan um, running around doing all the rest of the stuff destined to be king of his people. And uh, the early stories of Conan's were just really stories of an adventurer doing adventure things. Mm. And Conan could be a lot more flawed. Um, mm. in the original versions of Conan and the original writings of Conan that were changed when, um, uh, Carter and, uh, DeCamp took over. And so this story has a surprisingly like heartfelt segment to it, where it really shows that Conan is a barbarian, mm-hmm. uh, but he's a barbarian, not because he's, you know, uncivilized, you know, or that idea of like, he's a, he's a barbarian, but it's not, that doesn't make him savage that he Mm. has this deep honor system that he honestly, he can't understand civilization Mm. because it's just like, well, why does this person get to live here? And you can't, you're stronger than him. You're smarter than him. And they're like, well, he has money. It's like, well, that's Mm. not going to stop me from, from stabbing him with a sword. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I, I don't want to spoil it, but when it gets to the, uh, the part of the, the tower of the elephant, that's about almost the titular elephant. Mm. um, It becomes a suddenly very moving and honestly, strangely almost science fiction story hmm. so it uh, it kind of taps into that um, that weird tell style that has influenced Pathfinder so much mm-hmm. where there's just that edge of like there's something kind of weirdly science fictiony that's always going on in the <laughs> background um, yeah your you know Numenera, your numeria your um, you know extra planar creatures mm-hmm. ah. but um but yeah if you want a story that is quintessentially this is an adventure story no It's so good. So for my last one, I'm going to take a drink (laughs) because I want to launch into this one. For my last (laughs) one, uh, I'm going probably the oldest story that we've suggested here since it's about 200 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Frankenstein. Mary Ah. Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful story. I love this. I've got actually my old copy here. I've had this copy of uh, Frankenstein for about 20, 30, maybe like almost 30 years. Um, I got it when I think I was 10 or 11. And I love the story of Frankenstein. When I first read it, uh, I was way too young to really understand it. Mm. And I think that there was a I've I've read a saying somewhere that said that more people have gone into Frankenstein to gone into read Frankenstein and been confused or disappointed than any other novel in history because most people know the general concept of mm-hmm. Frankenstein mm, yeah. from modern media and not actually the story of Frankenstein. So, uh, Frankenstein famously was written by, uh, Mary Shelley when she was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the, uh, she at the time was married to, uh, Percy Shelley, uh, and would be until <clears throat> his eventual death. Um, but it was during a, a summer that they were all locked in together. Um, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, um, Byron. Lord Byron and um Some other guy. Dr. Paladori. Yeah. Uh, who wrote actually a separate short story um that more or less was bad mouthing Byron. Um, that's about a vampire. <laughs> it's actually pretty good.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean Byron was kind
0: of a Byron was kind of a terrible terrible person. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. Although nice uh tie into summer reading there.
0: Yeah, nice tie into summer reading. You <laughs> could be of locked in, you make might as well yeah. boom. Um I, I think it was I think the I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I think the story about it was that they were reading a story that was so bad that they all decided that they could make a better story. Yeah. Um, And Frankenstein was born of that. And so the story of Frankenstein, the actual story of Frankenstein, is basically about uh, Victor Frankenstein. um, The monster is not named Frankenstein, which is a common misconception. um, Who's a young scientist who basically creates the creature, the monster, um, and then immediately abandons him. Yep. And the... The thing that I, the reason I wanted to bring up this story, other than the fact that I just I love Frankenstein, it is hands down. I honestly am under the impression, no hyperbole here, that it is the um, the best book ever written. Mm. And it, I think that because it makes you think. There, there's not a page of this book that doesn't make you think or consider things. And the story about it is the first half of it. Cause I'll divide it in half. The first half of it is really the story of Victor Frankenstein. It's him. It's basically him deciding that, you know, I'm going to figure out the secret of life. I'm going to create, um, this creature. And then he creates the creature and then goes, Oh God, what have I done? And immediately abandons it, yeah. mm-hmm. um, goes into brain fever, wanders around the city. <laughs> um, you know, the creature comes to him and, uh, and basically, like to try to be accepted, and then he flees from it and rejects it again. And so the early part of the story is very much about Victor dealing with the uh, the mental repercussions of having created life.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then these, and really, when you're looking at it during the first part of the book, Victor Frankenstein is the villain.
1: Yeah, he sucks. Yeah,
0: he is a terrible person. Um, mm-hmm. He basically played God, created this this creature, and then immediately abandoned his creation. Yep. And then uh, the creature reappears about the midpoint of the book um, where it started this campaign of basically ruining Victor's life. Mm -hmm. And then you get the creature's perspective and you can see where he was born. Um, There's a quote from it. I don't have it immediately at mind, Um, but to paraphrase it, it, he says that, you know, I was born good. Misery made me a fiend. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do as I ask and I will be righteous again or I'll be good again. And... The, the entire takeaway that I have from it is it's almost this, this amazing perspective of a villain backstory of the creature becomes the villain in the second half of it. Mm. But when he first started, he was a good person. But everyone mm. rejected him. Everyone reviled him. Everyone hated him just because of his appearance. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, you can argue that there's a supernatural wrongness to him because he should not exist that causes people to reject him as well. But everyone rejects him. And then he steadily educates himself. He's, he's stronger. He's faster. Mm-hmm. In, in essence, he's better than humanity in every single way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all he craves is companionship. Mm-hmm. And so he returns back to Frankenstein to demand that Frankenstein makes him um, a companion. That way that, you know, he's not alone any longer. And so it's an amazing study of like what can make a sympathetic villain. Because even towards the end, you're like, I can still see where he's coming from. Like, he didn't do anything wrong originally. Yeah. You know, eventually he murders a child and all the rest of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Like, all these other terrible things. But it's just... I believe there's a phrase in there that he he states at some point that if any one person had shown him kindness, even once, he would Mm -hmm. have renounced all of his ways.
2: Yeah.
0: And... So, if you want to read a story that really encapsulates how to make a sympathetic villain, I cannot argue more than for Frankenstein itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Or if you want to um, read like the first sci-fi novel ever written, yeah, mm.
0: it's it's arguably the first sci-fi novel ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a mind-blowing, amazing work. Um, yeah, seriously. It it is um. It's also a very interesting examination of depression. Mm. Um, and so it it almost makes me sad every time I read this of going. All the things that must have happened to Mary Shelley in 18 years for her to have been able to encapsulate this depression so well. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, and it's interesting because there's also a little bit of this, like, enlightenment. I'm just going to go completely off into, like literature land. Yeah. There's like Enlightenment versus <clears throat> Romanticism, because her parents mm. were the Wollstonecrafts, which yeah. were philosophers that were very in mm. I think very into the Enlightenment. Oh man, I hope I'm mm. not wrong about that. That'd be very embarrassing. Um,
0: um no, actually and, I, I believe you are correct because I believe uh it, it's placed in Geneva, which was kind of the birthplace yep. of a lot of the Enlightenment movement. Mm. And so there's um, this
1: very strong like <clears throat> reason and logic. And then there's this very yeah. like yeah you know, Percy Shelley iron romanticism mm. feelings heart kind of stuff um so it's, you could study it through the lens of it's almost a um it's interesting to see which side she criticizes um yeah. because she kind of has both worlds
0: yeah well the two other things i was going to say is uh one just kind of linking it back to the yellow wallpaper there is a bit of a commentary in there of uh frankenstein created this this creature and then immediately abandoned it and it's like if uh you know if Frankenstein had more of a a paternal or maternal instinct to actually care for the thing that he created. But it feels like a little bit of a commentary on, you know, like the idea of men just abandoning children, which is Mm. a gross stereotype. Um, You know, I don't Mm. think that that's inherent in men by any stretch, but it can also be a commentary specifically from the time of that. Some people take away from Frankenstein that he's being divinely punished because, you know, Mm. uh, what's the what's the Ed Wood quote? You know, he meddled in God's domain or whatever it is. yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes,
1: <laughs> but the thing is, he's being punished, but the people that die aren't him, right? Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's like his yeah. wife, it's, or it's like it, it's it, his it's
0: wife, his best friend, theory. his brother. Um, Makes me just like tamper <laughs> in God's domain, by the way. But. Tampered, tampered in tampered. God's domain. Um, yeah, that you know, everyone is. He's basically getting punished by everyone around him, but it's it's such a good story, and, and it's a an uh, epistolary again,
1: novel, which is cool. It's like yeah. told through letters.
0: Mm, yeah um, well technically speaking it's told through a single letter
1: yeah well, I mean that's fair it's a, a it's letter. a
0: nested it's a nested story where it's yes. a, a dude on an Arctic expedition meets with Frankenstein and then Frankenstein tells him the story to the dude on the Arctic expedition who's writing it as a letter to his sister
1: which is such a weird narrative framing choice but mm-hmm. it yeah. works
0: Although of course if you want an epistolary story and uh, I always throw this out there Dracula is such a good
1: oh yeah Dracula does such
0: that a good well. story. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I guess if it's you, true. by putting in a letter, it lets you, you know, you don't have the promise that Frankenstein or the creature live, right? Because somebody yeah. else is telling the story.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, and, and add on to that, that you have an unreliable narrator. Mm. Because true. the entirety of it is narrated from Victor's point of view, but you don't entirely know whether or not um, this is being censored by the other person that's writing it. Well, by you by don't they're telling the, the truth. Or Victor yeah. is telling the truth, because, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that
1: he might be shady. trying to make
0: himself look better, because he's like, well, I've <laughs> got to come up with some reason. So, yeah, mind fever is why I decided to abandon this creature as soon yeah, as it was I born. Yeah, I just, I couldn't handle it, yeah. you know, I felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what well, the other thing I was going to say is, uh it also does a great job of breezing over how the creature was created, because mm-hmm. the sometimes the effect is more important, or sorry, yes, sometimes the effect is more important than the cause. Yes. And so... uh he basically I'm pretty sure that uh, Shelley dispenses with the entire thing in like one paragraph when it's just Mm -hmm. like I spent some time studying and all the rest of that and then I figured out the secret of life yeah Um, and there's no big lightning storm and raising up you know like a table and all the rest of that stuff I think she just puts them together on the floor doesn't go into any details of how the creature was created because how the creature was created is not the story yeah it doesn't matter the relationship between Frankenstein and the creature is the story absolutely so uh, so hard hard turn from there uh, for my my viewing <laughs> suggestion, it is not the it's not the movie of Frankenstein. I really should have gone with Young Frankenstein. For <laughs> my movie.
1: You should have done Frankenweenie. <laughs>
0: Frankenweenie, <and> <laughs> <Verwolf. laughs> oh, Better to uh, That uh. that is a great movie. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, uh. I was I was down to three movies for my uh, my movie suggestion, and uh, what I eventually ended up deciding on is funny enough, The Mummy.
1: That's classic, <laughs> classic. The uh, Find the, Path. the
0: the nineteen ninety nine Brandon Fraser Mummy movie,
1: mm-hmm. super good.
0: And the reason I want to suggest the Mummy movie for just going back and viewing it through the lens of tabletop gaming is it's so well paced. Mm-hmm. It starts with a great teaser. <laughs> it introduce it shows you a fun way to introduce characters where it's just like here's this librarian mm-hmm. here's his bumbling kind of thieving brother that then comes on sure. yeah. um you know here's this guy that you've just the fighter that you've just gotten out of prison who you know has you know part of the key that you need to go on this adventure mm-hmm you know, it almost introduces uh, Benny in there as being a new PC. It's like it's almost like you brought someone to the table to play this fourth character, and then they didn't work out. And so <laughs> yeah, you just they kind just of like off. Their, char- their character made them a villain and like brought in, uh, you know, this awesome, you know, desert ranger
3: mm-hmm. yes. for
0: later on in the story. It has amazing pacing, and uh, it's one of those. It's before the I believe the Marvel uh, formula really kicked in, where mm-hmm. it does let you really experience the. Um, yep the scenes that are supposed to be heartfelt and Mm -hmm. the scenes that are supposed to be romantic and all the rest of that stuff. And then the comedy just hits at the perfect time Mm -hmm. where, you know, yeah, you can get some of that, like, you know, the mummy comes at and then, you know, screams and then the fighter screams back and then shoots him with a shotgun or, you know, again, Mm. pulls up the cat, you know. Pulls up
2: a cat. Yeah, holds up a cat and just like, (laughs) ha-ha. (laughs) Ha-ha.
0: Thank you, Amelia. (laughs) It is such a good movie uh, because its pacing is so good. It feels like a classic pulp novel. Um, it has that that kind of pulpy funness to it. And so it feels like, you know, you're going to be playing a game with a whole bunch of your friends. You've got this one shot adventure. You know, maybe you guys are going to be going away to a cabin for the weekend and you're going to be playing like three or four sessions or something like that. And here's this, this crazy fun story um, that doesn't need to be Lord of the Rings. It doesn't need mm-hmm. to be, you know, this dramatic, huge story. It can instead just be this fun, campy, rompy adventure um, that still manages to tug on the heartstrings a couple of times. And it still has stakes. Yeah, it still has these amazing stakes, and Mm -hmm. um, it does kind of feel like that It has that classic feeling of a bunch of underdogs taking on this super powerful thing where it's like, we have to get this book and we have to get this artifact and we have to Mm -hmm. collect all these items to put them all together. Because we can't really beat him
2: in direct conflict. But if we do all this stuff, we should be able to at least put him back in the bottle he was in.
0: Yeah, and the thing that always sticks with me uh, from a storytelling standpoint is I love a complicated fight Mm -hmm. that has like an additional element to it. Mm -hmm. So the end of that story is more or less the quote-unquote party trying to hold off not only the big bad but also all of his, you know underlings that are all these extra mummies that he summoned up and all the rest of that stuff with a time clock as one of the party members is being dragged onto the sacrificial pedestal thing while off towards the side the bumbling rogues trying to figure out like how to activate the magical thing to stop that guy has like uh, one rank in linguistics and he's just doing his best (laughs) well he's getting an eight another check from the the pc that's being tied down to the altar right now um yeah that it just it feels like that big dramatic fight um, at the end of a campaign where everyone's having to use these extra elements of the, of the environment, of the things that you've collected to bring it mm-hmm. all together to make this one incredible, incredibly memorable final encounter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, God, It's such a good movie, and if you haven't uh, revisited it, you know, it's going to be 25 years old next year. Oh um, if you haven't wow. revisited it in that long, um, please go back. Go back and watch it. Go back and watch it, watch it through the lens of um, telling a story. Mm-hmm. So, not that it's not just a fun thing to rewatch. watch mm-hmm.
1: Ah, delightful.
0: Um, yeah, so those, those are my suggestions. Absolutely.
1: Awesome. Um, I in was trying to keep track of questions from our chat. We don't have a lot of questions. Mostly just people talking about the things we're talking about or giving their own recommendations and whatnot. Oh,
0: cool. Nice. Okay, well, if that's the case, then uh, anyone that has any questions, feel free to drop those questions in there right now. And I'm going to pull a Rachel. <laughs> oh, no. I have a second. I have a second movie suggestion oh, um, here that we I go. think everyone here can get on board with as well. Um, mm. Even though I do have some issues, <clears throat> a number okay. of issues with the story in general. Mm. Um, the Thirteenth Warrior.
1: Ah, oh, Thirteenth Warrior. Ah,
0: <laughs> uh, yes. Um, the Thirteenth Warrior is both an amazing example of a great D and D campaign or a great Pathfinder campaign, mm-hmm. and an amazing warning. Mm. And uh, it's based off of a novel called uh, Eaters of the Dead. Oh, um and the the entirety of the premise of it is uh, how you um what if Beowulf was told from the story of another person
3: oh, um, or yeah that makes perspective sense perspective
0: of another person and you know the whole idea was um we're gonna bring in this, you know, this other guy who has nothing to do with the story, and this is basically literally the story of Beowulf, uh, where it's you know sh- this bat, this awesome adventurer showing up. Uh, I corrected myself there before I started <laughs> well using profanity. I know this. Uh, this awesome adventurer showing up with all of his friends to to save this town. Um, it kind of gets into that Seven Samurai sort of feel of like yeah. here's this town, it's under siege. We all need to come together and fight against it. Mm-hmm. Um, So the positive thing I will say about it is it is great because it is a, um, it really encapsulates that story element of like adventurers doing adventurer things, saving the town much in the same way the Seven Samurai does. Mm -hmm. Um, The cautionary tale that it is, is it really shows what happens um, if somebody doesn't follow the theme. Mm. (laughs) Well, it's it's literally called the 13th Warrior because it's 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 the game master sat down and said, Mm -hmm. we're going to do this campaign and it's going to be entirely about Vikings and, you know, all these these warriors going and rescuing this town. And then one person showed up and said, I want to play a, uh, you know, uh, a Middle Eastern poet Mm -hmm. um, that literally doesn't even speak the language that the other PCs speak. Mm hmm um and so no fighting
2: skills whatsoever no
0: fighting skills none of the rest of that stuff i've just got i've I'm got an awesome poet, horse man. yeah i've got an mm. awesome horse that's it that's, that's all i spent that's i spent all of my smart. money on this horse <laughs>
3: yep.
0: um cool horse though yeah and then as the story kind of goes on in mind you you know in the case of the 13th warrior and eaters of the dead it's told from the perspective of even mm.
1: um eaters of the dead michael crichton i didn't yes. know that yes
0: um but it's told from from this perspective of this other person, but he kind of becomes the titular character, uh, more so even than the Beowulf stand-in, because he's the oddball. Mm. Um, so I can, I can even view the 13th Warrior as being a bit of a cautionary tale of, uh, of Game Masters. Like, if you have that one person that refuses to follow, like everyone else gets on board with this idea of a theme, and then you have that one person that refuses to follow it, um, you might get the same sort of situation where this one mm. character kind of uh, either hogs all the limelight or um you know derails the story because they're mm. trying to uh, to draw focus back on themselves mm. so just something to kind yeah. of keep in mind um you know if you're if it was an entire group or it's just like hey we're bringing in just random people again the mummy um yeah. feels kind of like that where it's just like we're just a bunch of like I'm I'm this american guy that shoots guns and yep. you know we've got the the two british people that it's the two people that tie their character backstories in together yeah like let's just be siblings Um, let's be siblings because we have Mm -hmm. to have an excuse for being there and we're brits um and then you know you bring and basically again it just kind of feels like and then this awesome you know ranger from this uh you know this uh secret society uh, secret society and all the rest of that stuff comes in and aids us a little bit later on like that's a great way of having disparate elements Mm -hmm. but it is like if you have if you do a campaign where you know Everyone's halflings. We're like, it's mm. like we're going to do an all halfling campaign, and we're going to be a bunch of roving halflings, and then one person's like, and I'm going to be the half orc.
2: <laughs> it's like mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we had a plan. <laughs> That's anyway, fair.
1: we bonus. do have some questions. Bonus
0: there. Now we have some questions. Ah, okay, very uh, well. First
1: one's easy. Can you remind us when Tyrant's Grasp was going weekly?
0: Yes, Tyrant's Grasp was going to be going weekly in September, uh, basically in uh, on our anniversary. Uh, it'll mm. start going weekly. I think the new extra weekly episode. Let me double check on here. I was hoping that would be a lot faster. And... <laughs> it's all right. I think we'll survive the anticipation. Mm, anticipation. Sometime. Sometime in September. The very beginning of September. Starting September, it will be a weekly show.
1: Yeah, September. Mm. All right. It gives Uh, us a little
0: bit of time to make a bit of a backlog um, ahead Mm. of time. And of course, you know, it's summer, so uh, people have vacations and everything else. Uh, Even we get to take the occasional time off.
2: I don't, but that's because I'm working (laughs) in a library. So this is kind of our busy time of year. That's
1: true. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) You can rest in the winter.
2: Exactly. Which I love to do anyway. I love winter. But anyway. (laughs) Uh,
1: Next, when do we find out the canonical ending for Onuris?
2: The
0: canonical ending? Interesting. I don't really have a set canonical ending. Um, I tease the possibility of whether or not he was uh, brought a risen back,
3: guard?
0: you know, as a risen guard. Um, it's, uh, spoilers here for Mummy's Mask, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> a little too late for that. But I, I tease the possibility of whether or not he was brought back as a risen guard. Um, mostly because I, I kind of like leaving those breadcrumbs out there, those possibilities that people can make their own headcanon. I know
1: that Heather's um, headcanon is that.
0: Yeah and so I mean her as the player you can argue that that is the most canonical Um, that being said as far as like my personal opinion on like canon quote unquote stuff is uh, unless it was stated during the game or during a recording or something that it's not necessarily canon Um, Mm. you know so if you like that idea again you know on her it's still flying around doing stuff you know there's Mm -hmm. all the stuff with Mom and you know that's kind of the whatever the canon works for you Whatever your own personal headcanon is.
1: Fair. Um, All right, here's a fun one. Any comics or manga that come to mind in regards to good inspiration?
0: ooh Hmm. Hmm. Comics or manga? Hmm. Well, I'm a big fan of Order of the Stick as far as like web comics are concerned because it's just fun. There's also, the next question is about
1: web comics, so those can be the same.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um okay. so order the stick is is way up there as far as mm-hmm. that's concerned. Um, I've
1: been reading um uh The Heiress's Double Life recently, which is mm-hmm. about um the Crown Prince is murdered. It's fantasy world. The crown prince is murdered, so his like younger brother, I think it's actually his uncle, but they're the same age. I don't know. Um, who's kind of a meathead, he's like a big warrior guy, he's not very smart, mm-hmm. um, wants to become emperor just despite the guy that killed him. And so he reaches out to the uh, the scoundrel, the Viper, hilariously, um, who's being kept in prison right now uh, and essentially offers her the deal of help me become emperor and um, you can be free.
0: Mm. And
1: so it's got that like political intrigue meets heist vibe of like there's the tactician and the, the assassin butler and the warrior guy and they're kind of going to do this political machinations scheming. Um, stuff that's pretty neat. Um, and then, uh, I mean, if you just want to talk about found family, which is a pretty D&D thing. Um, the, I think it's called, what's it called? Lout of Count's Family? The Count? Mm. Something like that. It's, mm. There's no romance or anything in it. It is literally just about this guy that get gets iseked into a fantasy world where he's like the lout. He's like the ne'er-do-well uh, in this Count's mm. Family and he's supposed to be murdered, I think, by the main character. And so he decides, I'm not going to be murdered by the main character. I'm just going to chill. And he like ends up finding these various people who like he like adopts, ends up adopting strays, right? Like, you know, this yeah. is the guy that needs to be taken in. And so it's all found family. So it's got kind of that vibe.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I was also going to say, um, and this is certainly a not for everyone sort of, uh, <laughs> of manga <laughs> series, but oh, sure, you cannot underestimate the uh, the impact of Berserk on mm. like modern media stuff it's mm. very well drawn it's a very interesting story it's exceedingly dark mm-hmm. um but it's been influen- influential on so many uh writers and workers sadly the um the artist and writer for it passed away uh, mm. i think it's 2 years back now um but again it's kind of influenced almost every um genre it's uh, mm. an amazing story. Uh but again, just to forewarn you if you go out there and seek out Berserk, it is extraordinarily dark.
2: Mhm. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> similar um, vein, although it's not actually a manga series, um also the Vampire Hunter D novels. Oh, yeah, oh, they're yeah. so good.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, um I think uh, real quick I'll mention I'll take a quick shout out to the Trigun series. Um oh. there is a manga for that. Uh mon- both uh original and the maximum series. Um, both are very good. There's some really, it's it's again, got that really good mix of flavors. There are definitely a lot of comedic mm-hmm. moments. There are a lot of serious moments. Yeah. Um, the main character is a very interesting main character. Um, yes.
1: I just watched the new one.
2: Yeah, the there's a new um, anime that came Stampede, out just Dragon earlier Stampede. this year. Yeah, um, really good, by the way. So I definitely recommend that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it does a really good job of having different characters with different motivations who still yeah. all work together toward a common goal, and uh, some really good interplay between the different characters. Well, I
1: and think. I love I love a main character who could murder mm. everyone but is a pacifist. Like, there's such something yeah. really interesting. I mean, it's like Cornelius is merciful is mercifuling mm. all of his spells. It's interesting <laughs> yeah. to try yeah. to be a pacifist in a, in a <clears throat> world or in a game that makes you be violent.
2: Yeah, that yeah. you often like... I mean, you know, the world of Trigun is very much heavily inspired by a lot of Western tropes. Yeah, like so Wild a West,
1: of... everything sucks. Yeah, it's like I, I, I
0: recently started... Because uh, I missed it when um, mm. it was popular and I'd recently started watching uh, the anime... Um, Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that was good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a similar thing in that, where it's, it's amazing how many of these animes that you watch where the main protagonist is a pacifist, or yeah. at the very least refuses to kill. It's um, yeah. a Kinshin very immediately Japanese thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you got to watch anime from that time period because if you're me, your favorite character always dies. It doesn't matter what anime mm. it is. <laughs> if it's from that specific kind of era of anime, they always kill the character I like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, That happened to be in a lot of novels I read growing up. Yeah, what is
1: that? It's rude. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like, ah... Got to throw, right, gotta throw along, a little tragedy along. in there. Yeah, I was about to say along. Yeah, we could talk absolutely. about manga and anime all day. <laughs> I know. It's uh, true. We can make that feasibly completely different after party if you guys are interested hey, in the yeah. summer anime manga viewing. If you're a yeah, fifty true. dollar
1: tier patron and you want to suggest us talk about man, uh, like uh, manga and, and anime, you know, you know, you know? You know?
0: know feel oh, free. Oh yeah, to yeah. I'll go all day. We, um, we, can literally, we can literally just have Jessica on the stream by herself talking about all of her <laughs> yep. Japanese uh, manhwa and all the rest of oh, that. I'm actually reading a
1: lot of Korean manhwa. Korean
0: Korean. That's correct.
1: Anyway, <laughs> we digress. I could. I do read a lot of them. Um, <laughs> have you read any Pathfinder novels? And if so, what's a good starting point? I have not read any. So have y'all?
0: I've read a couple of them. I've read um, several. Yeah. I really remember liking. Um, sorry, I was looking to see if I could see them over on my. Um, I think it's the Liar's Blade was the first uh. one. Um, but that entire series is uh, is great. I love all of the um, uh, Varian Jagare stories mm. for the Pathfinder novels.
2: Yeah, he's he's fun. I like Radovan a lot. Yeah, Radovan's and Radovan fun.
0: from that is, is great. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would highly suggest those. Um, and honestly, actually, the Pathfinder comic series is mm. really good. Um, yeah. I very much enjoyed it. So it kind of starts out that I, I was sitting there going, it's like, is this going to be a retelling of, you know, Rise of the Rune Lords or something? Because it's yeah. like, aha, here's Sandpoint and some goblins. Uh, but it <laughs> takes a completely different tact. Um, okay, cool. And fun thing is uh, if you get the collections of them, I think I've got them on the bookcase back uh, behind over my left shoulder. Um, but the original um, comics had bonus adventure stuff in the back. So it would have oh. like adventure locations or mini mm. dungeons or monster stat blocks or things like that. And so if you get the uh, the hardback collections of them from uh, uh, Dynamite, I think it's the publisher for those. Mm, Then they have them compiled in the back of the hardbacks. So it's got a whole bunch of adventure locations and stuff like that for you Mm. to also use in your games.
2: I think sometimes they even include like little magic items or monster stat blocks, things like that.
0: NPC stuff. um, Mm -hmm. even like I think there's one whole thing about like the rulership of Magnemar or something like that, (laughs) because they go to Magnemar, so it's like here's the people in charge of Magnemar. That's cool. Yeah. All Um, right. Another oh, uh, one book I'd like to recommend real quick,
2: uh, Plague of Shadows is also really good. Uh, I remember reading that one. And I was very um, very intrigued by it. It's a really cool adventure, and there's a there's a heist element to it in that.
3: Oh, it's really heist.
2: more less a heist and more like a rescue, but I think oftentimes those can be similar mm. yeah. because you're trying to get into a place and get something or someone in this yeah. case. But. Yeah, maybe,
0: um, maybe somebody in the comments can answer this, but there was one. I can't remember which what was the name of it, uh, but the main protagonist in it was uh, an elven woman that uh, it was really interesting because it she was part of an adventuring group and then the adventuring group got old.
1: Oh, um, nice. And so
0: it's actually about her and like all, all of her adventuring yeah. friends retired. Was that's that, uh, that's that plague, a *Plague of Shadows*. Of Shadows. Oh, okay, yeah. thank you. So, yeah, she hey. she
2: goes back to Keonan and then finds out that like her old one of her old friends uh, is okay. kidnapped, and yeah. so she goes to rescue them and tries to get some of the band yes. back together. And yeah, it, it's really interesting. It's a cool story. Yeah, neat.
0: and and I really liked how they kind of approached that whole thing of like, for her it was like, well, I was only gone for like three decades
1: or something yeah. like that. <laughs> How'd you get God. so old? Oh, man. All right. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, regarding Tyrant's Grasp going weekly, are the players ready for the torment, let's say, that the AP entails on a weekly basis or a more frequent basis, I should say?
0: Oh, I've, got, I've got half of them here.
1: Yeah, I'm ready. Um, it is Playing a cynical character is a lot easier in Tyrant's Grasp is what I'll say.
2: Mm. I mean, Rosamund will cling to hope as long as I can. So, and you should. as long as she can, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's go. I will rescue as many people as necessary until what? that can't happen anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what I will say, um, and you two can take from this what you will. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it, and that mm-hmm. is because as a game master, I live for those big story moments not necessarily even gotcha moments, but those big mm. story reveal moments. Mm. We had one of those recently with uh, uh, episode 100 of Tyrant's yep. Grasp mm-hmm. that was phenomenal. Mm-hmm.
1: It was very cool. Um, yeah.
0: There's a very early one in War for the Crown that kind of restructures mm. the story. And one of my biggest challenges with doing bi-weekly stories like Tyrant's Grasp or like Hell's Rebels is I have to wait so long to mm. get oh, yeah. to those that I'm I'm so eager. And I will say that Tyrant's Grasp has had some amazing um, not even necessarily like rug pulls but these amazing Mm. suddenly the story has been restructured suddenly everything's changed and uh, you guys haven't even hit the biggest ones
1: yet. And it's not always dark. Um, No it's not. Y'all will soon see. uh, There are some some interesting turns that I don't think (laughs) anyone could have possibly predicted.
0: It's true. That and like get, ruined
1: our lives in a good way for a little while.
0: Get get ready for the next couple of tyrant's grasp episodes. Is all I'm gonna say. Is there's yeah, uh, it's, it's
3: something.
0: There, there, stuff I, definitely happens. Strangely, strangely for tyrant's grasp, I don't think I have ever had um, the entire group laughing so hard yeah. in a single <laughs> episode. So not to oversell it, but get ready for that.
1: Yeah, it, it's it. <sighs> You know, I <laughs> never. Asked. I mean, I've left. I've left a lot of sessions going. What just happened? But never <laughs> with the emphasis. What just happened? Were we playing? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, y'all what? see. Yeah. I Bit feel really. like.
2: Yeah, I feel like Rick just switched one of the books halfway through and <laughs> hoped we wouldn't notice.
1: It was. It was wild. It was wild. Um. All right. All right. All right. Um, I think this question is mostly for Rick. How many okay. times have you read High Helm? Uh,
0: unfortunately, I haven't read it um more than once. Mm. <laughs> so I've, actually, I've actually only uh, had some time to peruse it unfortunately it's been a very busy week I've only got my physical copy in uh, like two days ago oh, okay. uh, but of course I got access to the PDF um, mm. a while back one uh, of the advantages of being a Paizo partner um, mm-hmm. true. But, and so I've been able to go through that uh, especially because we are uh, getting ready um, in fact I think we might have teased it in a recent episode but I actually don't even know if that episode's been released yet um, that we've uh, started work on uh, the return from season two for uh, Dark Moon Bell.
1: Yeah, we brushed yeah. off some character um, sheets and yeah, remember we brushed, our character voices. Yeah,
0: figured yeah. out, remembered our character voices, figured out what our characters can do. Um, <laughs> got a little Dwarven lore in there, like all the rest of that stuff. So I've gotten bit, some prep yeah. work. it. Yep. Um, funny, funny, almost completely side tangent uh, anecdote here. But uh, I've recently been playing um, Octopath Traveler, the first one. Mm. Um, I kind of bounced off of it when it first came out, but I'm going back through uh, <laughs> classic, uh, you know, um, I think they call it like the 2D, 3D um, or 2.5D or whatever it is, yeah. a pixel style game and didn't realize that there's a character in there, um, Cyrus that's uh, your big mage spellcaster, whatever it is. And it is basically Amaranth. <laughs> it's he's like this educator and he's always I'm always talking prim and proper. And like every time I finish a fight and you know like I'll supercharge him or whatever it is, is like now the lesson truly begins.
1: <laughs> like oh to blasting people with that. <laughs> we need to tell Jordan to say this now <laughs>
0: <laughs> And I, I absolutely love the Class character. Is in like... session now.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah,
0: like sometimes if he gets the killing blow or whatever, it's like it's like now the lesson is over and he closes his like by the, end of the <laughs> that's amazing oh my god oh it just it just makes me think of that but um and also the fact that like you know heather's character is constantly flirt- flirting with jordan's character and this mm-hmm. character also has like a student of his that's constantly flirting with him oh, and god. he's like Notice completely oblivious
1: <laughs> oh man oh, oh that's delightful such a
0: such a good thing yeah maybe we can get jordan to do a um a live stream of it
1: ah oh, yes. <laughs> yes uh all right uh last question i have is or it's not my question but last question on the list that i've gathered is uh any good warhammer 40k recommendations again none for me
0: oh um mm. i i love the horse heresy novels hmm. the horse they're they're phenomenal um they they really explore the lore and just speaking earlier about like tragic villains mm. um really gets into the fact that horse himself is a tragic villain in the stories and uh, you have to get about like three or four novels in before it gets to that point but the no- novels are very easily digestible um, they feature the Primarchs uh, but they're mm. actually from the perspective of a um, one of the Sons of Horus mm. um, I'm trying to remember his name it starts with an L I think uh, Larry but Larry yes Larry Larry um, Horus Cap- Captain Larry. Larry of the of the Horse <laughs> Heresy um, I keep wanting to say Lycan but I don't think that that's right mm. um, that's probably a space wolf but that's fair you um, i i highly suggest them um they are very very good um other than that yeah i mean i i've read mm-hmm. a variety of different warhammer 40k but nothing has ever quite impacted me as much as the the horse heresy, heresy series so fair
2: enough
0: yeah that would be my top suggestion
2: i, I mean, honestly have not read any um, don't either. so unfortunately also no recommendations yeah. from me related
1: there. unrelated in high school on a band trip i once borrowed a halo mm-hmm. novel and read Three fourths of it, and it was pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Yeah, Fair enough. I, I never played the Halo games. Um, mm. I watched the uh, uh, was it Amazon series? I watched Jordan play
1: like 30 minutes of one mm. once.
0: Oh, okay, and uh, I do understand that most people's complaint with that was like the dude had his helmet off like 85% of the time, even when he was getting shot at for whatever reason. Mm. And I don't know if like. Maybe, maybe the Mandalorian is just kind of like, you know, sold me on like, you can have a character, actually, you know what sold me on, you can have a character act with their face obscured the entire time, V for Vendetta.
1: Mm. Yes, Hugo Weaving.
0: He, yeah, he delivers the entire thing with that mask on.
1: Oh man, mm-hmm. great novels. Uh, the V for Vendetta graphic novel is mm-hmm. top tier if you want to look at, like if you're thinking of doing that kind of story. Mm, yeah. Mm, that's yeah. good stuff.
0: So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I don't really have a um, Actually, there was an Inquisitorial series for Warhammer Hmm. 40k. I can't remember it off the top of my head. I think the main Inquisitor. No, it's been too many years. I've I've replaced all of that knowledge with Pathfinder knowledge in the intervening years. I've lost it all. all All
1: Uh,
0: Or extraordinarily obscure short stories. That's it. That's all I got. There were no
1: extraordinarily obscure short stories about Warhammer. So, actually, I
0: have a fun. uh, I have a fun anecdote. (laughs) I have a fun anecdote here for Jessica. Actually, uh, we were recently we were recently doing um, we were doing a recording for um, "Tales from Dark Moonville," mm. and in uh, during that, I think it was my first uh, reference to a short story. Um, I think it was like episode two or something like that. And uh, it's funny because I think I think Jessica was mocking me for it. I know Heather was because she usually mocks me for doing short story references. Uh, the one in question is a short story by the name of uh, "Negotium Perambulums." And it's funny because uh, Jessica was making a joke about it and all the rest of that stuff. But she bought me this lovely book.
1: I did. (laughs) For my birthday.
0: I'm holding it up here for the screen. I know what Rick likes. uh, I just
1: like to joke about it.
0: uh, Weird Horror Stories, Gothic Fantasy. And the reason it was so fresh in my mind is it was story number three. Because I've been (laughs) reading through this. Uh, I just finished The Willows. Um, It was a reread for The Willows for me if you haven't read Mm. it. Blackwood's Willows. Uh, But yeah, it's like. Worm monster, you say? I recently read a story about a worm monster. <laughs> oh, man. Jessica giving me crap for it. It's like, you gave me this book. <laughs>
1: I know. But see, that's the fun. That's the delightful part.
0: Ugh, so good.
1: Uh, yeah, that's all the questions.
0: All right. All right. Well, then, yeah. Um, we don't really have any announcements other than to say that, you know, again, um, we are going to have a... Uh, Tyrant's grasp going weekly starting mm-hmm. in September, as we discussed earlier. I can't at the still end of summer. Yeah, at the end of summer. Um, once we get into the uh, the fall season, you guys can get through your summer reading, mm-hmm. and then uh, you'll back have some extra audio to listen to. Yeah, and, uh, back to school, back to Tyrant's grasp. Hmm. Um, things are going very interesting in there, so uh, I'm very <laughs> excited for that. And uh, we're still you know steadily working our way through um, Hell's Rebels, and uh, we'll be very shortly starting book two of uh, War for the Crown. So I'm very excited oh, yes. for that. So uh and uh we
2: have I think as hinted earlier started production of uh, Dark Moon Veil vale season 2. It's true. So, yeah. so you
0: can uh, you can expect to hear that soon. Uh small announcement here I suppose pertaining towards that is uh Dark Moon Veil vale is currently on its own we we kind of had the our neglected child which is uh the Ventures RSS feed that we often mm. forget.
1: <laughs> yes. it doesn't
0: see as much attention. Um, we're kind of consolidating the uh, the focus because i know a lot of people don't even realize that dark moon veil is a thing sometimes mm-hmm. originally we ran that as a means by which to draw more attention to our uh, our youtube and um, you know also of course it was during the beginning of the pandemic and i think that there are even some cracks during there about like you know as soon as this whole lockdown thing and everything gets back to normal blah blah, blah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was so early we were so we were so young and naive the tales from dark moon veil will actually be featured as a um, a, basically a short series on the Presents feed. So it'll actually mm-hmm. be on the same feed as Hell's Rebels. Um, so we're actually going to be re-releasing the original run of the uh, the episodes leading into uh, the second season, if you will, although the numbering system staying the same. So the first nine mm-hmm. episodes will be released on the RSS feed, and then uh, Tales from Dark Moon Veil is going to be released opposite of Hell's Rebels. So for a brief time, for those of you who are subscribed to our... Uh, presents feed, you'll be getting Hell's Rebels one week and then Dark Veil the next week. So you'll actually mm-hmm. be getting weekly show for uh, the presents feed as well. Mm-hmm. So very excited for that. Um, I mean, really the only other announcement uh, that I can think of, do I want to tease that yet? No, I think I'll hold off on that one. Um, Ooh. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I'm like, do we you know what it is? <laughs> um, yeah. And... Uh, the only other thing I want to do before we go is of course, thank our patrons. Uh, we've had an amazing outpouring of support, a continued outpouring of support from our patrons. So we do want to take the opportunity to thank all of our patrons. Um, everyone that has gone on there has checked out the story again. I cannot undersell how wonderful Tyrant's Grasp has been recently. And, uh, the upcoming couple of episodes are going to be uh, an interesting we've had uh we've had highs and lows as it were <laughs> so, um bef- before I don't know things which get, this is yeah before things get Both. so very very dark uh once you guys get to uh, a little bit further into book four um there's, mm. a, there's some there's some madness coming up here um so definitely madness. it's true yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so definitely go and check that out and um you know, you can of course, and if you're on the fence, you don't really know whether or not you want to uh, to back the Patreon for uh, one dollar a month. Um, you can listen to the first, I think it's twelve episodes, want to say it is. So that's a uh, that's a heck of a bargain. That's uh, that's less than ten cents per episode. So, yeah. and you get some uh, some some really good gems in there, and get a good feeling for what Tyrant's Grasp is, and again we're creeping 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 our way now that we're past the 5k we're steadily making our way up to the 7500 tier and that Mm. is going to be our weekly hell's rebels
1: aka the one where none of us have lives ever again
0: (laughs) 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 aha big surprise Uh. um so yeah thank you to all of our patrons and um i suppose that's going to be it so uh until next time good luck pathfinders Good Come luck. On. Keep up with your reading out there. Yeah, read yep. some
1: books. Reading. Woo.
0: Pick up this uh, this weird horror uh, short stories book. It's uh, actually very good. Ah, uh, excellent. <laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody. Uh,